It's Saturday, everyone, and I normally don't do Mediascope briefs on Saturdays or Sundays, but I saw some stories that were just too good to pass up. So in that case, welcome to another Mediascope brief. My name is Tachi. I talk all about media, tech, and pop culture news, and I saw a really great story. Before I talk about it, let me preface it with this. I also do a podcast with my good friend and co-host, Kevin No Malone, who's also an anchor favorite. And we did a show, a special, which was our top five favorite food-related movies or television shows. Super fun. And we also had a special guest, Chef Chad Cherry. Try to say that fast. (laughs) Too many CHs, but he was fantastic. And so one of my favorites was Good Eats. Good Eats with Alton Brown. Now, you know it can be past or present. And you know that Good Eats actually went off the air. Well, I said all of that to say that Good Eats is coming back. Yes. So, according to Eater Magazine, after what feels like an eternity, Alton Brown is reviving his kooky, colorful cooking show Good Eats with a new format. The original program had 252 episodes on the Food Network and then it spin off the Cooking Channel and it ended in the winter of 2012. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago. It seems so contemporary. He's been dropping hints, though, about the return of his popular show since last fall and now Alton Brown has officially announced the reboot via a very spooky teaser video where he cracks open a basement full of artifacts from the original program. There's a red flame blender, sock puppets, and a painting of a chicken with a bowler hat on. These are all classic Alton Brown things, if you think about it. So there's been no announcement as to where or when the new episodes will be available. But when a fan asked if this would be a web series, Brown said, perhaps, hmm keeping everything under wraps for right now. So this echoes similar remarks that he made last year about bringing the show back in some type of online format. He's particularly dexterous with Facebook Live and social media in general, so perhaps this new show would live on one of those big social platforms. I could see a Good Eats on Facebook Live. In fact, that would be a boost for Facebook Live. And Facebook Live, I'm telling you, pick up Good Eats if you're not thinking about it already. So on Twitter, Brown hints that actor Lucky Yates, who's working on Archer, will be returning to the show in some capacity as well. So this announcement uh, of the revival lands on the 18th anniversary of the show's premiere. How awesome. So it's going to be called Good Eats 2.0, and I'll give you more details as they are available. But that's the news that if you are a fan of Alton Brown's Good Eats, you're going to be happy to know that the show is reviving in some way, shape, or form, maybe living online. I hope you're well. Cheers. Welcome back. In other Mediascope news, you can now tip your Uber driver in the app if you are a diehard Uber user. Starting two days ago, the in-tipping app option was rolled out in 100 cities in the U.S. and Canada, including major markets like New York, San Fran, and Los Angeles. So after you download an updated version of the app, you'll be asked whether or not you want to leave a tip when you rate your driver. And drivers will be prompted to choose whether or not they want to accept tips after they update their apps. I can't imagine what Uber driver would say, oh no, please, I don't want a tip. 
Okay. <laughs> the inclusion of this in-app tipping feature is actually a major reversal in Uber's thinking and policy because even after s- similar or rival ride-sharing apps like Lyft included it, they in fact for as long as I can remember and I'm a Lyft user, they've there's always been a tipping option. But after a series of major scandals for Uber, including the sexual harassment and the toxic work environment, they've lost some market share, etc., etc., executives at Uber finally said, hmm, maybe we'll allow for our drivers to be tipped. Hmm, I'll comment more on that later. So, lots of people have long argued that they should do right by their drivers and include tipping, but this is going to probably annoy a segment of the riders. A lot of the people, especially millennials, liked Uber because there was no ambiguity in financial transactions. So this whole idea of the cashless transaction was key to their business model. They emailed their drivers, Uber that is, saying that tipping is a part of the larger effort to make work conditions better for them over the the next 180 days. They say, quote, some changes will be big, some will be small, all will be the changes you've asked for. So in addition, Uber's has a new pay for wait program where customers will be charged a fee if the driver is waiting after two minutes after you, they're supposed to have picked you up. And that will be active or is active in all U.S. and Canadian markets starting the same time. Two days ago, they started. Previously, Uber had been giving passengers a five-minute window. Now it's two minutes. Tipping will be live in all U.S. and Canadian cities by the end of July. In the meantime, cities like Adirondack, New York, Amarillo, Texas, Boston, Massachusetts, Buffalo, New York, Carbondale, Colorado, etc., etc., will all have this feature live. If you're interested to see whether or not the tipping feature is available where you live in your market, go ahead to TheVerge.com and take a look at this article titled, You Can Now Tip Your Uber Driver in the app and you'll be able to see a list of the cities where tipping is live within app. So I want to return to it for a minute to the whole thing of Uber letting them, uh, letting drivers now receive tips. Why do you have to wait for a calamity before you do right by people? Of course, this is a philosophical question and I'm not really expecting an answer, but it seems very convenient that now that you're on the brink of disaster, that you now want to try and do right and allow things like tipping. Things, by the way, as I mentioned, that rival apps have been doing. Hmm. Is it a little bit too late for Uber to try and rectify the wrongs? It will remain to be seen, but I'd love to hear what you think. Let me know if you think that Uber can really do anything with this in-app tipping and if drivers are going to stick around. They already have a high turnover rate. So, and there have been other scandals in addition to the sexual harassment. There have been some shady deals with some of the, the um, the car dealerships that Uber had been dealing with in New York City, which had these subprime car loans for some of their drivers. So they have a lot to overcome. And I don't know that tipping me $2 would be enough to rectify that. But let me know what you think. Hope you're having a great Saturday or Sunday. Cheers. It's now time for another edition of Media Tech and Pop Culture News in the form of Mediascope Brief. 
long before kids were enamored by game controllers and joysticks to make Super Mario jump and leap through different obstacle courses, there was Monopoly. That's right, I'm talking about the board game Monopoly. It initially launched back in 1935, so we're talking about the last century, guys. We're talking about the last millennium. In 2017, this year, it's 80 years, 80 plus years old, okay? And the game is getting a new version that's really supposed to draw in new generations who grew up with Super Mario. And it's called Monopoly Gamer Edition. Very inventive, right? Anyway, it's really more like Super Mario Monopoly than anything else. Every character from Donkey Kong to Mario to Boo to Wario is pulled from the world of Super Mario. So those names make sense to you if you are a Super Mario fan or player. And it comes with four players, Mario, Princess Peach, Yoshi, and Donkey Kong. Now the theme extends to the board itself, which is a series of Super Mario worlds. What you do is buy gold coins or use gold coins to buy land and each character has their own power-up that has in-game effects. And it's interesting because this is how the power-ups work according to Hasbro. So, for example, landing on the Superstar board space will activate Princess Peach's Superstar ability to collect rent from the bank. Players can also activate a special power-up boost by rolling the power-up die. If none of this makes sense to you, listen on. You're going to get a box of stuff for $24.99, so the game is $25. You get the game board itself, various cards associated with gameplay, a bunch of gold coins, and four characters. But this would not be modern gaming if they did not give you a bunch of upsells, right, and other extra-ish you have to buy. So in addition, you can buy eight power packs, which are additional characters to play. They come with a price tag of $2.99 a piece, so $3, which is surprisingly reasonable. Surprisingly. All of this may sound really appealing to you, so you might want to grab the collector's edition that's available exclusively at GameStop, and it comes with an extra character, Bowser. So, if you are wanting to buy it right now, you can get the normal edition of Monopoly, uh, Monopoly Gamer Edition available now at GameStop for $25 and everywhere else starting in August. This might be something to collect, especially if you are a Monopoly fan. You know, they had the collector's edition of the other Monopoly, of the regular Monopoly that we know. And if you like to collect these types of things, you might want to spend $25 and get the collector's edition. Okay, well, happy gaming, and do not pass go, and do not collect $200. Cheers. And on this edition of Caller You Say What, you know what that is. I, that's where I take listener call-ins. Claudia sounds off and continues the conversation about Hulu versus Netflix, or Netflix versus Hulu, however you want to put it. Anyway, she's sounding off. Let's hear what she has to say. And Hulu versus Netflix continues. Alrighty. I I am a Netflix user for quite some time now, like a few years, I think, but for sure not since 2001, as you are, Tachi. And just recently, I don't know, two, three weeks ago, I um, I get Hulu subscription. And to be honest, I don't see anything that interesting on, on Hulu, really. 
I was like looking for MASH, you know, the old TV show. Couldn't find it there. Netflix, unfortunately, ditched that show um, some time ago. And uh, to be honest, I love Netflix for a whole bunch of documentary movies. Um, but when it comes down to Hulu, I'm just, you know, trying to see what's there. But so far, no, so far, I don't see anything that interesting. Uh, probably I'm going to stick with Netflix. Miss Claudia, how wonderful it is to hear your voice on a Saturday. And I have to agree with you about Netflix over Hulu. I'm a Netflix person all the way. Now, I had Hulu. Obviously, it was a free trial because we were reviewing some shows on Hulu. We reviewed actually The Handmaid's Tale. And it's, yeah, it's a great series, but does it warrant me keeping it? Oh, also, we, we did a review of... Um, National Treasure, the uh, BBC show National Treasure, and loved both of them. However, does it warrant me keeping Hulu? Probably not. There simply is not enough there. Again, I'm maybe probably a little bit biased because I've had Netflix for so long and have seen the changes. There's so many movies that are there. Of course, they switch out things every month. So everything that may be your favorite may not be there. But there's so many other cool things to check out and choose from, from the original series to the movies and the documentaries that they have. I'm just hooked. I'm a Netflix junkie. And I did not find that same level of junk dumbness for me. I <laughs> made up word with Hulu. I did enjoy that they had Ab Fab or Absolutely Fabulous on there. I haven't checked to see if they have that on Netflix, but I love the British show Absolutely Fabulous. And so I was happy to see some of the British programming that they had on there. Other than that, do I need Hulu? Meh. Now, if Hulu would like to gift me a subscription, no problem. I will happily find a bunch of things that I can watch on there because I know there are things on there. But I, too, am a Netflix girl. Okay, Claudia, I hope you're having a great Saturday evening. We'll talk soon. Cheers. Adler here um, about the Uber app, right? I mean, it's, I believe it's great. And I don't believe that the the CEO, well, the former CEO, Travis uh, Kalanick, is, was behind it. Um, I think after he left, they, um, the board implemented that. But I used to be an Uber driver, and um, I used to be pissed off because we, don't, we weren't allowed, um, we didn't give the, uh, the riders a, an option to tip while Lyft was doing that. So it, um, even... After multiple attempts trying to get um, the pharmacy or Travis Kalanick um, to implement the, the tipping button on the app, um, they finally get it. So I just think it is definitely a plus for the, um, for the company, and I'm sure the, um, the Uber drivers will be happy. So, yeah, that's it. Adler, you don't understand how happy I am that you called in. You being a former Uber driver is the equivalent of getting a celebrity call in. Thank you so much because you add such great perspective and depth to this. Really, really good information. And I agree. I think this is a good thing for those drivers who are still with Uber to have the ability to collect tips. What the hell was the holdup? Lyft has been doing it forever. I always tip. I think people want to tip when there's a job well done, particularly if you're not making a lot salary-wise, your base salary for, or sorry, your base pay, 
It's not always salary, but your base pay for uh, Uber. If it's not that much, you want to give drivers the opportunity to make more, especially if they've done a good job. And Ubers are comfortable, just like Lyfts, more comfortable than cabs often with their awful leather seats, depending on where you are. Anyway, (laughs) thank you so much for calling in Adler. Again, great perspective. So this last Mediascope brief story is a very intriguing one. We already know Facebook is on a mission to take over the world. Well, they're going to start by kind of building their own city or village. And it's a village that will include housing, a grocery store and a hotel. Billions of people are already spending their time on Facebook, two billion to be exact. So why not build a a real life or IRL place that people can spend time for real, even more time? You know, they want more than the 50% we already spend on Facebook. So this internet giant wants to build housing, retail stores, a hotel, and more at their corporate headquarters in Menlo Park, California. So in short, they want to build their own town. They unveiled the plans on Thursday for this big new construction project in Menlo Park, California's their corporate campus, which is part of Facebook's plan to expand its home base. It's a 56 acre site that they bought in 2015 for about 400 million located right across the street from Facebook's headquarters. This will offer 1.6 million square feet of housing or 1500 units. In a blog post, they gave more detail as to the plan and they described the future development as a mixed use village that will provide residents, many of whom will be Facebook employees with housing, transportation, and other amenities. They say, quote, we plan to build 125,000 square feet of new retail space, including a grocery store, pharmacy, and additional community-facing retail. Very interesting. They're also going to include a hotel in this, and it will take roughly a decade to build all of this out, according to a person familiar with the plans. The initial phase of the project will include a ho- will include the housing and a grocery store that will be wrapped up in the first half of 2021. Other phases will be completed completed every two years, according to a blog post on the Facebook website. Most of the housing probably will go to Facebook employees, but Facebook is opening up the housing to the community at large. It will be a mix of market rate and affordable housing units with 225 units or 15% priced below market rate. Facebook says that part of their vision is to create a neighborhood center that provides long needed community services. One benefit for them of having employees live so close to campus is a reduction in the amount of traffic in the area, according to the blog post. They presented this to the city of Menlo Park and they have not been approved yet, but they expect the approval process to take about two years. Very intriguing. So number one, I've never lived near work. I'm always about 25 minutes away. I don't know that I want to live right across the street so everybody can know what I'm doing at every moment. Separation of church and state. But again, that's just me. I think it's fantastic that they are offering a portion, 15% of the housing below market rate, something that's very much needed around the country and especially in a place that's very pricey like Menlo Park, California. I think that 
it's wonderful and scary at the same time. For anybody who's thinking and keeps saying, yeah, Facebook is entirely too big. You know, we hear analysts say, oh yeah, Facebook is really big. When you have the money to build a city, that's how you know you're too big. It kind of reminds me of, um, I can't remember the name of the movie with Nicole Kidman. It is something that I can't remember. In any case, it feels kind of movie-like where the corporation owns the town and in fact there was an episode of the simpsons that was like that where the guy who built everything it was somewhere in oregon homer went to work for them he owned the town that's a little too much for me i don't know what do you guys think maybe you would love to live across the street from work and have everything provided for you yeah when the more you say it it sounds a little spooky but interesting nonetheless, I hope you're having a great Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Cheers.